You're listening to the Runners Who Read podcast. Runners Who Read is the official book club of Atlanta Track Club. This is a community where people come together to share thoughts and perspectives on the selected books while learning the same from others. Each month is dedicated to a different running-related book with weekly blog postings containing guided discussion questions. Participants are asked to engage as much or as little as they'd like, sharing thoughts, reactions, and questions while they read. The goal is to have fun and meaningful discussions, all united by a shared love of running, and we hope to share a piece of that with you in the podcast form. To learn more about the books we're reading and check out the most recent blogs, head on over to atlantatrackclub.org-runnerswhoread. Happy reading! Hello and welcome everybody to the Runners Who Read podcast. Today we have a special guest, Abdi Abdirahman, joining us to talk about his book, Abdi's World, that we just read this past month. And let's dive right in. Abdi Abdirahman is a five-time Olympian in the 10,000 and marathon. Born in Somalia, he fled the country along with his parents and four siblings in the midst of a civil war at just 13 years old. After spending several years in a refugee camp in Mombasa, Kenya, he immigrated to the United States through a program for Somali refugees. It wasn't until his freshman year at Pima Community College that he would set foot on his first track, but it was immediately clear that he was very talented. As a junior, he transferred to the University of Arizona where he would begin to train under coach Dave Murray, who is still his coach to this day, and kick off a running career that has seen Abdi consistently compete at the elite level and represent the United States on the world stage for the last quarter of a century through present day. In 2021, at the age of 44, he became the oldest runner to ever represent the United States at an Olympic Games and the first American distance runner to qualify to represent Team USA at five Olympic Games. He also, just a month ago, placed 20th at the 2022 edition of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Known colloquially in running circles as the Black Cactus, Please welcome Abdi Abdirahman. Well, thank you for having me, Olivia. And that's, I have to say, is the best introduction I have had in a long time. I have to be the best one, so to be honest. Yeah, thank you for coming. It's exciting to have you here. Um, let's dive right in. All right, you know, can you tell me a bit about what your writing process looked like for this book? Uh, what was it like to work with co-author Miles Schrag? Uh, you know, to, to be honest, the writing process, this book, it wasn't like, you know, it's not some, it it was something that I had thought about it for a long time, writing a book, you know, since 2016, but I was just keeping, I was, I was just putting on hold of it every year until I make my fifth Olympics in uh, in Atlanta and going to Tokyo. And then uh, one day I was like, you know, and and I met Milos through uh, through a friend, Joe Vihol. Joe Vihol wrote his book, and I just have to give it a you know a code or things for Joe Vihol's book. And and I told Miles, and I said I want to write a book. You know, that's one thing. And he followed up to me, and we talked about it. You know, just the the writing process was a great. You know, it was a great experience. Just like sometimes I would write something, send it to him, he would like it or not. But most of the time we have we will meet the we'll meet on the park, you know, just talking hours and hours and hours and hours. So, you know, just and and that and now we have the finished product and you guys just read it. Yeah, we did. And we really enjoyed reading it. 
So you said you really put this book together through mostly through converse kind of casual conversations with Miles. You and him would go back and forth in the park or over the phone. And yeah. that helped you kind of synthesize your ideas so that you could then put them on paper for the book that we just read. Exactly. And you know, just because I I just I and the good thing is working with the book, I know what I've been through in my life, how I get to this point of my life, you know, just come from, uh, you know, come from Somalia during the civil war. And the good thing is I kind of remember everything that happened and, you know, just going through the refugee camp, you know, just living in a, in a, you know, just living in Kenya, coming to the U.S., going through, you know, coming from Somalia, Kenya, Kenya to U.S. Just I see never, I can see the clear picture of everything. So I was kind of, was easier for me to explain it to him. Yeah. And and furthermore, interwoven throughout the book, we see newspaper clips, tweets, interview quotes, et cetera, from you and the people around you. Uh, how did you select which ones you wanted to put in your book? And what was it like reflecting on your career thus far, going back through the archives to choose which quotes you wanted to use? I'm sure there were a lot you could choose from. Yeah, you know, just that, that was one of the difficult part of, you know, just selecting the few things, just, and you know, the book will have been a few hundred pages and instead of a 200 pages, but, you know, just it was I, when you like a person like me, I'm a friendly guy, I have so many friends in the different industry and different, I have a basketball, friends who, who play basketball, friends who play, you know, like a baseball, and we did talk to some of them, but the most most of the people that I want to talk to is like, you know, I just want to talk to like the people in my circuit, especially during my run circuit, you know, my friend, my friend who are like the runners, like someone like Bernard Lagarde, you know, Mo Farah, Bashir Abdi, you know, just, and also we have so many stuff and I, you know, just, it was difficult to leave some people alone, some not, some, some things like, you know, not mention them, some people not mention their names, but, you know, but at the end of the day, it was easier because I haven't mentioned most of my friends and I kind of, you know, feel bad. But at the end of the day, this is kind of like a, is a running related. And I want to emphasize the people who are around me, see me while I'm training, you know, just go and know what I'm going through, you know, and also people who understand like how hard it is to make a team like someone like Bernard, like Bashir Abdi or Mofar, they can understand and they can also give like a better example when they say you know like if you ask them the question about how hard I work they can give you an explanation but my some of my other friends like who are outside of runners they cannot give you that they always see the finished product right and it's a real inside look at you because those people you name Mo Farah Bashir Abdi Bernard Lagat those are all people you trained with right yes so they see you on the day-to-day -day. they see you day in and day out putting in the work and they're putting in the work alongside you so they have a really unique perspective on things like your work ethic and what it is like to to be around you in a training camp uh, and that really comes through in the quotes that they put forth in in your book while speaking of training camp um in 2006 i believe uh you mentioned in your book that your neighbor and flagstaff came up to you one day and suggested that you needed a nickname and threw out the name black cactus and you just kind of took it and ran with it, repeating it wherever you went until it stuck uh, after throughout that camp in Flagstaff. Um, and I'm wondering, why do you think that Black Cactus is such a fitting nickname for you? 
Uh, you know, to, to be honest, like I wish I could, like I wish I could tell you why it's a fitting name for me. But yeah, at the end of the day, just like for me, like the first it wasn't even the cactus. Actually, we came out with the black water and we changed it to the black cactus because of the, you know, like not a lot of people will know the meaning of saguaro. Just unless you're in Arizona, you will know. Some people will know, but not like everybody will know the saguaro. You know, just unless is a native to Arizona. Also, like, you know, just at that time in 2008, 2006, you know, I just, I was kind of doing like, you know, I, everything was going well, you know, just, I just want to be creative, you know, just, I want to do something out of the ordinary, you know, just, I don't want people just to know me, Abdi, you know, just, I was always a fun guy outgoing. So I want to, I want to come up with, I want to come up with a, you know, with a nickname. I just ask my neighbor and I say, hey, Jim, just, just say, is there any way we can come up with like, you know, a nickname for me? And he said, oh, how about the Black Sword? And I said, nah, nobody will know the Black Sword. And I say, and I told him, how about the Black Cactus? And he said, oh, the Black Cactus, that sounds great. Everybody will know the cactus and everybody will, you know, will come put that thing together one on one, like, you know, just say, oh, cactus. You know, Abdi, the black cactus came from Tucson, Arizona, you know, was a great name. And also like, you know, at 2008 trials, I remember we, I ran against Galen Rupp in the 10,000 meter. And I remember Galen just graduated from the University of Oregon and he was like a couple of time NCAA champion. And I was just, uh, you know, I was the prime of my career at that time. I was running the 10,000 and I remember Nike made like the stop, you know, they used to make that stop pre t-shirt, but they make stop, stop Galen t-shirt. So, you know, and I made mom t-shirt. I said, you know, stop the cactus, you know, <laughs> and I, <laughs> yep. And all, all, all the guys from the flow track, you know, at that time when they were starting Mark Fuliana, they all wore the t-shirt and they went, I have my little own cheering section and I won the 10,000 meter. And that was the beginning of my, you know, beginning of my nickname <laughs> yeah that's really cool now that begs the question is the t-shirt still available can i can i still order it online or oh, find it in stores somewhere the t-shirt is still available you can still order online you know just yeah, you know, just we never stopped you know we even come up with the new design make it a little bit modern you know just so yeah okay okay you'll have to send me the link so i can put it in the podcast notes for this episode for anyone who wants to buy their own black cactus t-shirt Definitely, I will. But yeah, the it seems like the black cactus is is very representative of you as a fun person. You know, distance runners, as you noted in your book, don't tend to have cool nicknames like that. You know, you have Galen and Meb and Shalane and Ritz, but you don't tend to have the black cactus. Um, but while it is a is representative of how fun of a guy you are. I also want to dig a little deeper and ask if you think embracing that nickname became somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the longevity you've had in your career. I mean, because, you know, cactuses or cacti rather are very resilient. You know, they, they last forever. They grow slowly, but they become these big, powerful plants that are, are so re resilient, so tough, brave the harshest environments in the desert and somehow manage to survive and keep going for a really long time. And that seems to be kind of how your career has been as well. Oh man, that was, you know, that's a great, actually, you know, it's a great thing that you say that, but it wasn't, it wasn't not my intention to even go to Dava. I never even think that far, you know, but you say that and I can see the similarity with what you're saying on myself, you know, you can see, you can compare myself to the cactus, but that but that was not my intention, to be honest. I just needed a nickname, so I didn't even dig 
that deep, you know, but I like it. I like your explanation though. You just, I, I can relate to the cactus now with the, like the long jumper of my career and the cactus, you know, because I have a cactus in my house and those cactus is just like a, some of my neighbors told me this cactus was here before they even, before they even start developing this property, they just couldn't remove that cactus. They have to leave it there. So it's a, this cactus could be over hundred years old. Just, and, and I definitely see that similarity, but uh, that wasn't my idea. Okay. So you can see the similar similarities, but it wasn't your idea. You were just looking for the nickname for, for fun yeah. mostly and yeah. because it was a, a cool thing to do. But yeah, it seems to have become, or I, I guess I could say that you've really grown into it uh, in many aspects. So that's really cool. Um, yep, but speaking of that fun, um, how have you continued to find ways to make this sport fun despite having been at the elite level for nearly 25 years? I mean, does it ever get boring? Uh, to be honest, like if I, if, if, if you know, I'm, I'm making fun, you know, it's everything in life. Just first and foremost, you have to, first thing you have to, you have to love running. I love running. I enjoy running, you know, just at, at the end of the day and I, and I'm never going to say I'm perfect or not, but I do have my days where I don't feel like training things are not going well, but you know, those are just the days. Those are just a one or two days out of every month. So but for me, just the thing that motivates me, just I just want to I just want to be better than myself. You know, every time I want to improve my time, I want to improve my health, you know, just and also just uh, maintain a healthy lifestyle. Definitely, definitely. I mean, those are, are all good goals to have improving your your on your own time, um, having a healthy lifestyle. Uh, but from the from a competitive racing side. I mean, you have accomplished so much. It feels like you've experienced it all in your career. Um, do you ever, like, it's one thing to, to love running in general, but do you ever get tired of the competing per se? I never get tired of competing. You know, that's the day I will start. That's the day I will retire when I, you know, like when I, when I get tired of competing, you know, the 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 competing part of it does the part of the biggest big big motivation of me like coming back more and more and you know it's kind of like it's got and running is kind of like addiction especially when you start making teams you know when you feel like it when you get when, when you get that breakthrough confidence you make one team and you're coming back more and more and you still believe you can make it while the other people don't think you can make it you know that's for me just the competition is what it, it's, it's what drives me you know i'm i'm 45 now I, I you know my body might be not be able to do it but I still I feel like I can do it another five more years but you know that's just the feeling that I have this that's the feeling I have today it might be a different thing if you ask me tomorrow it might be a different answer but you know just like I love competing and I just you know I I just want to be the best as I can be. And I don't like, and I'd never compare my success to other people. You know, what I, what, when someone is doing, like if they're better than me, if they run fast time than me, that's when you lose motivation because you always compare that. To, just to compare yourself to yourself. That's the one motivates me. Nice. So you're saying in order to, to continue to find fun from a competitive side, it helps you to avoid comparison focus on you, focus on continuing to, to compete. Cause honestly, I mean, I, I agree with you. That's really the fun part. I mean, 
running and putting in long runs and practice are fun in their own right. But really it's getting out there and competing and showing what you have on the, on the world stage, or, you know, for some of us, that might be the local stage. I mean, for you, that's on the world, on the international stage, um, showing what you have is, is really the, the fun part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, the fun part is just that, you know, it's, it's just doing better than you were yesterday. That's as simple as that, you know, just like just being a pair person, just, you know, just enjoy what you do. And also, you know, just and and setting up goals, you know, just looking, looking the long term instead of being the short term. Right, right. And so what tips and tricks do you have for kind of staying in that moment mentally and focusing on, on the race that you're in. I mean, especially you run marathons now, which I mean, I run the 800 and I find it difficult to focus for just the two minutes or, or just about two minutes that I'm on the track. Um, how do you stay focused on the race that you're in when, like you said, you you're focused on competing, but you also have the uh, the rest of your longevity and the rest of your career in mind as well. Yeah, you know, just when I'm when I'm running a marathon for me, just like a, it's just like a more I'm I'm not lacking a motivate I'm not I'm not lacking any motivation. And staying the focus is a part of motivation. For me, I want to win the race. You know, at the end of the day, and then winning a race doesn't mean you have to go out as hard as you can until you cannot even run anymore. It just is it's, it's all about pacing. It's all about pacing yourself, like. A, you know, like the maybe you 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 set yourself a goal. So you just said you just said like you know instead of a lot of people use watches, which I don't actually when I'm racing. I just I just run at feeling. I just run how I'm feeling that day. You know, if I'm feeling good running like a four fifties, four fifty five, and I feel comfortable, I just I'll I'll run that pace. And I will never know. I will never know that, but I can. I can feel it because the people that I'm running with, you know, just if I'm going a little bit too fast, you know, that's when I control. And also like, you know, just like, I will just, I will just run the mile I'm in at that time, you know, just like, okay, just, I say, okay, I'm going to just run this. I'm feeling good. I'm going to maintain that one mile in one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile. And by the time I know I will be in like toward the end of the race, like a 26, 24th mile, 25th mile. It's easy as that. It's just a focusing on the race that you're running instead of focusing on other things. Instead of focusing like when you one mile, you're saying, oh, I have 10 more miles to go. I have four, four more miles to go. And instead of counting how many miles to go, just to enjoy that mile you're running at that time. Yeah, take it one mile at a time, uh, as you say. And while in a race, you may not be lacking any motivation to take it one mile at a time and focus and and stay in the mile that you're in, as you said. How do you manage that in practice where you may not have the adrenaline of a race and you, you know, you may have a, I don't know how long your long runs are, but say like a 20, 20, 20, 25, 30 mile long run ahead of you, and you're not feeling the adrenaline and the emotions of a race, then in what ways do you focus your mindset and set up your mental game to tackle that? Uh, you know, and that and that's when you talk about it. You know, like the, when you talk about race and racing and practicing, are totally two different things. To be honest, and a lot of people think like sometimes you feel like you think, how do the people run so fast? 
during the race, but they can run that fast during the track. They, you can run it, but it will take a lot of more effort to run that fast in practice than race. But for me, I never like to be honest. I'm not one of those people who compare workouts or like my workout or my racing. My workout is my workout and racing is my racing. Racing, like I have like so many people, other people surrounding every, there's a lot of things going on through your head at that time. But in practice, you just, you just, the coach will always give you a workout, which is almost like a five or 10 seconds slower than race pace, but it feels like almost as hard as a race. But at the end of the, and, and then you don't have any, you don't have all the other stuff you have during the race, you know, just getting ready, you know, like that weekend, just like the motivational part of it. You don't have all that stuff. It's just practice. For me, I just focus on practice, just trying to be, you know, the better, just have a great workout. And, you know, just, and don't, if the workout goes, if the workout is, is great, it's great that day. But if I have a bad workout, it's just a bad workout. It's just like having a bad race. For me, I just forget about it and just focus to the next one. So you have to, and what you're saying is you learn, you kind of learn to let it go. Like, yeah. you know, you focus on the workout and you want to have a good workout every time, but you know, if you have a bad workout, you have a bad workout and you, you move on to the next one. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that bleeds really well into our, our next topic. Cause I want to ask you about dealing with that disappointment when you have a bad workout, when you have a bad race, I know specifically in your book, you wrote about in 2016, you had to pull out of the Olympic marathon trials and then ultimately decided not to participate in the 10 K at the track and field trials later that year due to a calf injury that hadn't fully healed. Um, and in that moment, you decided to prioritize your long-term health over trying out for another Olympic team. Can you talk a little bit more about how you managed to cope with the disappointment and move on to the next race? Yeah, you know, like, to be honest, like, one thing as an athlete, you know, and, and I tell you, you will understand this or yourself too, like, to be honest, like, uh, we train for, like, a lot of people don't understand, we train for Olympics for every, we train for four years, and every four years, you know, world championship do come and go every two years, and then you have other world indoor championship, but, but something people don't, they do understand, but they don't realize, we get, we get the opportunity to compete every four years, and when you train those four years and you dream is, every athlete dream is that four years is to be an Olympian. And there's only like so many speeds. Each, each event each events have only three people can, can go. But the, for me, like what happened to me was exactly that. You could just, I trained for four years, getting ready for that 2016 Olympics. And I was so excited. Things were going well. And, I, and, and sometimes you feel like you're on the prime of your, career and I felt that way you know just at that time I just felt like everything was going well I went to training camp to Ethiopia training with my friend they told me everything it's great I came back like three weeks before the trials and I got injury out of calf problem and I have to pull out the trials at like a after but three weeks before the trials I have to pull out Olympic trials but it was and at the end of the day it was the was one of the most difficult things that I have to deal with as an athlete because I prepare for that that race for almost like a the past almost like you know year and a half right year and a half out you you prioritize that race every race that you do is leading toward that race you know I haven't done a marathon the whole year because I want to be fresh for the trials you know just want to do the best and at that time I'll say oh I'm going to be the 
you know, I was hoping to be a part-time Olympia. I was already part and you know, Anatol was gonna be my last one. But you know, I did that. It wasn't the easiest, it wasn't the easiest decision to make, but it was, you know, it was easy, but like it was difficult for me. I couldn't deal with it because some I put so much effort, it just it was kind of like it was kind of frustrated, just you know, like. Like I couldn't do anything for like, you know, a week and a half because I knew like I missed it at the opportunity to make the Olympic team. And I, and I, and you never know if you're going to make it again. Right. And, it's never a given. Exactly. So, and I said, you know what, maybe this is it. And I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, I'll never, ma- I'll, you know, what at the end of the day, I, even though we kind of selfish sometimes, even though I already made it for Olympics. And I said, you know, I was kind of disappointed. I'm not. And I said, this is it. But, but at the end of the day, you know, like, and that's when you need like a people, so you're surrounding your coaches, your friends believe in you and you need their support, you know, just they're the one who like, you know, talk to you and, you know, give you the perspective of everything, you know, just telling you, hey, this is just one thing, just there's so much, there's so many other opportunity. And for me after that, you know, just thanks to my coach and my friends and my loved ones, after one week, one week and a half, I was over, you know, just and just the reality hit. And I said, you know what? It is the reality. I'm not going to be able to compete. So the best thing to do for me is just, you know, just, just go to LA and be a spectator, go watch the trials. And I went there. It wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing being there, not competing, something that I trained for it. But, but, you know, I tried to get, I, I didn't get, I didn't heal in time to compete the trials, but I took my time, just, I didn't rush it. I came back and that same year I trained for it and I was on a mission. I just, to be honest, I just did the same thing that I did leading to the trials. And I competed like, you know, a couple of road race, came to the beach street road race, did pretty well. I went to farm the road race, did pretty well, you know, just all the circuit. And then I went to New York city marathon and I, I finished the podium of the world major and that was the ice and the cake. And that was everything that, that I hoped for, except I didn't make the Olympics. And that was great. Yeah. So it sounds like you took, you turned that disappointment into fuel in a sense. Like you had the people around you who helped give you perspective and it took, it, it took some time. It took a week, a week and a half, you said. Um, but then you got back on the horse, got back after it when your calf healed later in the year and still managed to make a good year out of it. Like you said, running Peachtree Road Race, of course, and doing really well there. And then running Foulmouth and, and meddling at the New York City Marathon, which is huge, a world major marathon. Yeah. Um, and, and that was everything that I ever, I ever wanted. And I just, and also I just say, you know, sometimes I just tell people and I say, if you have a setback, it's a setup or comeback, you know, just that, you know, it's just something greater will come. Right. I think that's a a really prime example of not allowing your disappointment to discourage you. And then as we all know, you came back, you know, four years later and, and made the Olympic team in 2020, which was huge. You know, your fifth Olympic team. Yeah. I, you know, it was, it was amazing. It was a great experience. And I remember the first day I found out it was going to be in Atlanta. I just had a great feeling. I never thought like, just to be honest, and I don't want to be a cock or anything, but I just say I have as, as good a chance of any anybody. For me, just I always like in five Olympics, I always tell my friends, like when whenever I was running the trials, and I say, you know what, there's a three spots, and I'm I'm gonna take one of those spots. I don't know whoever 
whoever's going to take the next two spots are open. And I said, you know what? Three spots are open. I'm going to take one of them. I said, who's going to be the third guy or who's going to be first, second, or third? I said, I'm, I'm taking one of them. Who's going to be second or third or first? You know, just that's what I always did. That's always my mentality. And, just, and it's just all, it's all about believing in yourself. That's it. Yeah. And that's, it still blows my mind that even after missing out in 2016, that you managed to come back four years later after four, you know, four Olympic games um, and still make that 2020 or what would end up being the 2021 team. And so as we, one of the things throughout your book that we talked about a lot in, in book club was the cause of such longevity. Um, if you could sum it all up for us in a sense, if, if there is a secret, what is the secret to performing at such a high level for, for so long? And what advice would you give to those of us who want to find fun in this sport and become lifelong runners at any level? You know, the first, and I say this one earlier for me, and I always will come back to this. First and foremost, you have to love running. And they're saying that the fun is something you love to do and, and you never walk a day in your life. You know, just I might have to work, but just but at the end of the for me, I love running. Just it's just something that I have a passion for it. Also, besides love and running, I also love competing. It's the combination of that. And also, you know, just for me, and also taking care of yourself, listening to your body, just and also setting your setting a goals, you know, just like and also like and also be realistic with your everything. Just like if you get injured, just listening to your body. It's like a little small thing that just makes a longer job but you know a lot of people are just done and also like just don't try to overreach everything don't try and like for me like I never run like a three or four marathons a year I only run like maybe one or two marathons a year I just set myself goals and I and I prioritize my races and I say you know what this is what I want to do and also I love running and also staying healthy and also like just like a coach like uh, having the same coach for me over 20 plus years or my whole career you know there's a there's a point in my life where things were not going well I just have you know like it's running is a roller coaster you can have a great year but next year you can be down and some people just they look at it the quick fix they say they will see some of their friends running so fast and say hey what that guy's doing what kind of work is that I'm gonna go change it to that coach but the thing that they don't realize that it's going to take you another a year or two just to just to get used to that program and maybe even become good but it's not something you know just for me it was simple for me i had a great success under my coach and i stayed with him all through my career you know just when i go to the camp like uh, my like you know just the people who help me i just always tell them what i'm doing and they always like willing to you know adjust it just listen to my my opinion and also just setting goals and just listen to your body and don't look for a quick fix. All right. Well, there you have it. No shortcuts. Like you said, no quick fixes. Listen to your body. The, like you said, the consistency over the years of, in your case, having the same coach uh, contributed to that. And what you always go back to loving running and loving competing. Yeah. So I, I think that's really great advice to, to anyone who wants to be a lifelong runner. Um, that being said, I have to ask long, short-term and long-term what's, what's next for you. I mean, I know, I imagine you have a couple more races on the schedule coming up maybe. 
yeah, you know, just now I'm training. I'm in Flagstaff. I'm training pretty well. Training's going real well. You know, just hopefully I'm hoping some great things in, you know, in the in the future races. My shape is coming real well. Just the right time. Uh, my, you know, just for now, I'm a, I have a the the main things I'm training for is New York City Marathon. It's gonna so I'm gonna be, and also I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in Chicago Marathon doing the 5K day before the marathon. So you know, just doing my book signing in Chicago. I'll be around there. But the main the main thing is for me right now is a New York City Marathon. All right. So looking ahead to the New York City Marathon, that is on November sixth, right? Yep, November sixth. Yep. All right. We'll be watching out and cheering. And then, of course, I also have to ask long term, you know, do you know, and I I ask from a place of I'm 26 and people are asking me this question as well. Do you know what you want to do after running? Have you thought about that? I I, I definitely know what I want to do after running. You know, just I want to I wanted to like to be honest, like for me, I'm someone who love running and someone who understand running. And just not like in a, in a, in a, not, a, a lot of great coaches, you know, just, but some coaches are just coaches because they read from the book, just experience. But for me, I want to teach and run it because I learn on myself. I know what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And also I can relate to the other people. I can look at someone can, you know, just tell what works for them, what doesn't work for them and also i can get the reaction i can i have i'll have the feeling i'll have the experience you know just just so, so i want to get into the coaching side of running so i just i want to help people it can be in the lead side of it it can be a recreational side of it i just want people to be better better than they were yesterday as a runner as a human being too that's awesome giving back to the sport using your talent and and what you've come to know about running in your long and successful career to give back to those who are looking to do the same thing that you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, that's really great. And uh, coach Abdi Rahman has a great ring to it. So um, I think that you would make a great coach. Oh, thank you, Olivia. Okay. Last question, bonus question before we end the okay. podcast, would you ever consider moving up to ultra marathoning? Ultra marathon. Yes, I'll definitely consider moving to the ultra marathon. I love running, but at the, and also I'm saying this on on a place of respect. I don't think ultra marathon is as easy as people think. Just because people those because those ultra runners run like six like you know six fifty or seven minutes. It's not as easy as people think. It just I just cannot imagine running like a hundred miles. But I will start with fifty miles, so mini ultra. So that's my goals. All right, there you have it. Maybe we'll get to see see you run an ultra in, in the future. That would be fun. But um, anyway, that brings us to the end of our Runners Who Read podcast. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to the audience before we before we close? Not really. <laughs> All right, there you have it then. Um, thank you for coming on and speaking with us about your book. The book, everybody, one more time, is called Abdi's World. Um, you get an inside look at what Abdi's career has been has been like to this point, his viewpoints on on running, some of his best races, how he made five Olympic games. Just we'll we'll put in a, a link to it in the description of this podcast for those of you who are looking to read it. And thank you again for for coming on and speaking with us, Abdi. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me, Olivia, and I really appreciate it.
Once again, I'm your host, Olivia Baker, and you've been listening to the Runners Who Read podcast. To learn more about the books we're reading and check out the most recent blog posts, head on over to atlantatrackclub.org slash runnerswhoread. Till next time, happy reading!